Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. We're your Tipsy Hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lizzie. Hi. Hey, guys. Wow. Okay, okay premature hello. <laughs> no, I waited right till you were done. <laughs> you were ready. Ready. She was ready. ready. I felt like you were, like, trying to beat me there. She beat you. She did. Like, totally. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> so I have, I have something to share with you guys. I've okay. decided this week I'm going to buy a cat harness. Oh, my gosh. I support this a thousand percent. Is this like a cat leash? <laughs> it's in conjunction with a cat leash, but uh, you have to have the harness also. Or else their collar comes off or breaks away. <laughs> Thank you. I know this because I have one. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Next up is the cat stroller. Have you seen those? So no. I want the backpack. No. <laughs> <laughs> I want the dog stroller. Oh my mm. gosh, you guys. We have that. Do you? My, my we dog do. would eat your dogs. <laughs> so it's actually, so it's a kid. It's a little kid thing that you put on the back of your bike. Um, oh, no. But we I'm put like, our oh, yeah. <laughs> we put our furry kids in it. How does it go? Fine, they, they do love fine. It. Yeah, um, my dog is not <laughs> the most athletic in the bunch. <laughs> no, um, and he's got bad knees. He's only three years old. Really? Plus, yes. He's the same age as Willow. It's really sad, honestly. Um, and he he walks as much as he can. Uh, <laughs> I saw him the other day. I kept kneeling down away from him and was like gus gus and he would run to me i know and he was so excited to see us when we came over it. he is a super happy dude he's a good boy um but every once in a while his little kneecap slips out of place oh my gosh That's awful like is it one bad leg or is it all no, of it's, them it's the back legs, both of them. Aww. The back legs have the kneecaps lindsay <laughs> i, I did I not know that, that actually oh yeah, thank I you that. oh i feel don't you feel bad you tried to make me I don't know how, <laughs> how did you guys not know that? I just thought it was both back legs. I was Listen, like, I'm I don't know. A, I'm not up to date on dog's anatomy, okay? <laughs> I'm learning a lot. Well, it's both of his back legs, and apparently it's very common in dogs his size, like little dogs. Hmm. I didn't know it's that. Called a, it's called a luxating patella. Listen to me. I'm a veterinary expert. Don't actually listen to me. You I have no idea what I'm talking about. A veterinologist. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have a big dog who's 75 pounds, so I don't know yeah. what that's. I have phoned a friend a couple times on this one. I'm uh, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And also the vet said that this is what it is. Um, turns out that he'll have to live with that. And uh, we do really need the little stroller for him. But I, I want the cat <laughs> harness. That's what okay, I'm back going to the for. Cat. Sorry. My cat is a total asshole. And he <laughs> wants to run out the door every time it is opened an inch. Help. What do I do? Don't open the door. What if I need Don't to let the dog cat. out? Oh, it's too late for both of those. <laughs> um, watch for the cat before you open the door. I Hold the cat while you're opening the door. Okay, Ooh. so that's great advice for even me. Even better, even better. <laughs> but you. a lot of times it's my eight-year-old um, opening the door, and he's escaped many times out there, um, which I wouldn't care except he has no claws on the front He's got no means. So you want to put the harness yeah. on the cat like 24-7 so you can... No, I want to take him outside every once in a while oh, to like yeah. get it out of his system. He's you not know? inclined to run out anymore. Yeah, yeah. Boys knows what's up. I didn't know people took cats on walks. Sorry. <laughs> well, they do. some of us try. <laughs> some of our cats just like to lay there and we have to drag them along. <laughs> I had to take my dog on a walk. I've taken her on a walk the past two days, and she pulls me with her, and I'm like, stop. 
<laughs> so I can imagine this is me walking the dog and the cat. The dog is pulling me and the yes. cat I'm dragging. This is how it's going to go. And Tie them together so the dog drags <sighs> the cat. <laughs> You're going to have lu- luxating shoulders. I'm going to have my own luxating shoulders. <laughs> what does luxating mean? I don't like this word. <laughs> I, don't know. I think it I'm, might be a fancy thing, just a way to say like, like in and out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Listen, you went there. <laughs> That's what she said in a fancy way. <laughs> A luxating vagina. <laughs> there it is. Oh, luxating. That's <laughs> just such a weird word. You want to you want to luxate tonight? <laughs> you can luxate my vagina. <laughs> I, I hadn't gone there in my head, but <laughs> I broke her. I win. <laughs> tough but we're it back yeah really thank god <laughs> oh shit <laughs> you okay i can't even see your face are you okay <laughs> ouch my face i, I never thought a luxating vagina would get her but it did <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah, you broke me. That was a good one. Thank I, you. I, I, I silent laughed for it's all like 30 seconds. I thought you were gonna like die. You didn't, we weren't I, breathing. I couldn't breathe. <laughs> it's, uh, it still hurts. <laughs> my cheeks hurt. My mm. cheeks hurt. I'm crying. I've got tears down my face. I'm sure my face is red. Oh my gosh. I just had to grab a pillow to cover my face because it's I, knew, true. I knew it wasn't a pretty picture. <laughs> Oh, and you were so embarrassed in front of Boydston and I <laughs> <laughs> that we would judge you. I know. I know. I know. Oh, man. Okay. If I never hear that word again, that would be great. What, Luxating? <laughs> Vagina? Okay. I don't think they meant for those two words to no, go together. but, but it's but just a weird We word. made it a thing. So. That was my crude definition, and we just ran with it. We ran. You asked what it was. I did, because I've never heard that word before. It's in and out. <laughs> <laughs> Like a dislocation. So why don't they just say like it's he has dislocated exactly vagina. Right. Like a re- reoccurrent yeah. dislocating knees. Ooh. Yeah. Sounds painful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does, it does sound, sound painful. painful. <laughs> poor Gus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, poor Gus. That's what we're coming back to. Uh, um, Gus needs a stroller. <laughs> and Gus your cat's stroller. My cat needs a, a harness. <laughs> Before you purchase said harness, do you want to try mine out? Not my harness, my cat's harness. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Yes, I would love to try your cat's harness. Perfect. On my own cat. <laughs> um, it's got a stretchy leash. Like the harness is a normal leashy ma- material, but the leash part stretches. So whenever you're walking and your cat's not, you you just it, you have to stretch it. It's like elastic. That's probably fine because I imagine he's not going to really like walk off in front of me real far. <laughs> that was our goal. I mean, I wish he would, but I just know he won't. How did um, it work with your cat? Because I'm sensing not well. Well, <laughs> we brought him out, and he loves that side. We let him out back, and he'll just explore the whole yard, but he never goes past the fence. Mm-hmm. And so we took him out front because we wanted to go on a walk. 
And he just said, nope, I'm done. And just laid down. <laughs> and we had to, like, pull him along. And we realized that it was not going to work out. So we just took him back inside and then went on our walk. Oh. Mm. He said, no. I've yeah. seen the front yard. This is not that great. I think he got really overwhelmed. Sensory overwhelmed. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So does the harness stretch? No. Well, all but of us are fat bitch. It adjusts. So is it going to work for him? It's adjustable. <laughs> okay, thank God. He's a he's a nineteen pound ass. He's a big boy. Is that a big cat? Yeah. Well, Caesar's um thirteen pounds. Yeah. Okay. Gus is also thirteen pounds. So Oliver's six pounds more than that. Oh wow, that's a big cat. He's a big bitch. <laughs> big bitch with a lot of hair. Anyhow, <laughs> all right. Uh, we'll get back to you and let you know how that goes. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed this little segment here. I don't know if I can take video because I'll be too busy um, either pushing a stroller or pulling a cat <laughs> along the way. You can also borrow our bike attachment for the dogs if you want. Is it like freestanding? I can push it. Oh, like a little it's buggy? Attached. Yep. Yep. Okay. It's like a caboose for your bike. Hmm. What if I walk though? It, no. No. It yeah. attaches yeah. to a bicycle. See, that's what I'm saying. I do have like a little old stroller, though, that I could put him in. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, he's got luxating patella. <laughs> just imagine like, well, I'll bring Willow over and she can just drag both of them. <laughs> oh, he's still a sweet boy. It's fine. Okay. Anyhow, what are we talking about tonight? We are doing another... <gasps> True crime. <laughs> Fuck you both. <laughs> Again, I just watched you crash and burn. <laughs> Sounds like that's how it's going to be. <laughs> we are doing another group episode of a true crime. I'm so disappointed. So I really am. She's I'm disappointed singing, in both of you. You've been singing Wicked lately, and it has been sounding lovely. Oh, thank you. But then I appreciate right, that. Right before we started recording, you told me it sounded... <laughs> <laughs> Not great when I was singing. So. No, that's not the word she said. I know, you sounded like a, a deaf person. Yes, I was trying to be politically correct, but okay. Wait, stop. <laughs> you told me you were trying to sound. <laughs> I was. So here's the thing about me. When I sing, I don't try to sing good because I know I can't sing good. So I try to sing as badly as possible. <laughs> and so I was singing. I don't even remember what. So you were trying to sabotage me? Yes. This okay, thank you. Because I, you were rude to me. I don't believe I'm that. sorry. I think that you sing things and you're like, oh, this sounds halfway decent in my head. No, I, I know. I'm not tone deaf that I can't hear how bad that sounds in my head. I just, I don't know that I believe that. Okay. I do believe that you sabotaged me and thank you. You win. <laughs> we're doing a true crime. <laughs> Fine. We are going to do it on a very actually pretty, it's been, well... How do I want to say this? Spit How many um, <laughs> describing words do you want? A very I was going to say, it's not like a re- big thing. It's not a recent case, but it has been recently in the news because we just sure. caught the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spit the, it out. Here we go. The East Area Rapist slash the Golden State Killer. There we go. There it is. There it is. I didn't want to say his name because some people may not even know him at, by his name because... Mm. Well, we're going to tell We're going to tell gonna you tell all them. about yeah. him. Let's get ready for some spiritual milk. For some true crime. <laughs> Step it out one time. <laughs> Stomp on the devil. Okay. I get, where we're at now. <laughs> I get where we're at now. I was like, what are you talking about milk for? Spiritual milk. Backslide. No. no! Okay. 
Did you know Lindsay was Side- in that video? <laughs> Sidebar. Have you guys seen the TikTok where it talks about our favorite crazy Christian videos? <laughs> these two have been sharing these videos. And um, if you don't know me, I grew up very sheltered. <laughs> and I know both videos that were shared because I remember them from my youth group days. And they are just fascinated. <laughs> that oh, I knew of these. Sure, that's the word we'll use. I don't know what to... Um, entertained is definitely... T- tickled pink. <laughs> tickled pink. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> like, I like big books and I cannot lie. Bibles. Well, yeah. I like big Bibles. Boydson thought that that was just created for TikTok. <laughs> I did. <laughs> it was a video from years ago. And mm. then we found this other one about the ele- the cha-cha slide. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> the cha-cha slide. But the Christian version. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just wait until you start singing the... It cr- starts out with, let's let's get ready for some spiritual milk. What does that even mean? I That makes me very it's uncomfortable. It's very creepy. Lindsay, it you talks about in the Bible, me. you know, that... The I feel new, like it's not, very, new, a, not a clear The New Jerusalem is flowing with the land of milk and honey. Yeah. That's what uh, I would think when I think of milk, spiritual milk. The land of milk and honey. It feels creepy. I mean, yes. <laughs> I'm not saying that that song is not weird. <laughs> We're about to have some spiritual milk up in here. <laughs> Maybe they just mean milk gives you strong bones, and so spiritual milk makes you strong. So. I don't think yeah. so. No, no, no. It's calcium for your <laughs> spiritual walk. Calcium for your spiritual bones. <laughs> yes. yes. Your foundation. Stomp on the devil. Your foundation of faith. That was, no, I'm, I was going to do something, but I'm not. Nope. Okay, okay, okay. Well, she won't say it, but we will. Let's just stop on temptation and <laughs> discover the history <laughs> <Backslide>. of. <laughs> no, <laughs> they are really tickled pink about this. <laughs> I can watch it every Those single day, and people still are laugh. so tore up about that backslide. No, it's really intense. Don't look to the left. We used to don't look. To- <laughs> that was like a saying in the youth group, though. Like, don't cause me to backslide. Backslide. <laughs> Is that what they said, Lindsay? They were like, don't cause me to backslide. You'd be like, get behind me, Satan. No! <laughs> Been backsliding lately. It's not good. Okay. All right. Now I know. Now you know. It's, it's a youth group word. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm just, I'm embarrassing myself. So let's just. You're not. It's just, it's a funny thing. It is a funny I, thing. It's silly. It is silly. Okay. Who's starting us off? Me. Boydson. Pick me. It's a me. Um... I don't know if anybody knew this, but the Golden State Killer has a name, and his name is Joseph James D'Angelo. I did know that. And he was born November 8th, 1945 in New York. His father was a sergeant in the Army. He was the oldest of four with two younger sisters and a younger brother. According to a relative, he witnessed the rape of his seven-year-old sister by two airmen in West Germany while they were stationed there. And later, one of his sisters would claim that he was abused by their father when he was growing up. During his teenage years, it's reported that he committed burglaries and tortured and killed animals, which we're just going to skip over. He joined the Navy the year he graduated high school and served for 22 months during the Vietnam War. After this, he went to Sierra College and graduated with an associate degree in police science. With honors, I might add. Soon after, he earned a bachelor degree in criminal justice from Sacramento State. Or as I like to say, Sac State. No. My God. So hip. No. That is, Google it. Permission (laughs) to Google. That's what they call it. Sac State. (laughs) That's a terrible name. (laughs) 
<laughs> Cute. Um, he took postgraduate courses in further police training and then completed a 32-week police internship at the Roseville Police Department. From there, he was a burglary unit police officer, foreshadowing in Exeter for three years. He served in Auburn for another three years until he was arrested for shoplifting, and he shoplifted a hammer and something called dog repellent. He was sentenced to six months probation and subsequently fired, and of course that didn't sit well with D'Angelo, who historically has kind of a temper, and he threatened to kill the chief of police and allegedly stalked the chief's house. He got engaged to a girl he went to college with, but she broke it off after... Get this. He threatened her with a gun in an attempt to force her to marry him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, smart lady. That doesn't work out well. He did eventually marry, though, and they moved into a home in Citrus Heights, and she became an attorney, and they had three daughters before they separated in 1991. But they didn't actually divorce in an, until 2019. But back to the 1990s, from 1990 until he retired in 2017, he worked as a truck mechanic at the Save Mart Supermarkets Distribution Center. He was arrested in 1996 over an incident at a gas station, but the charges were dismissed. Neighbors reported that D'Angelo frequently engaged in loud, profane outbursts, and one neighbor reported that his family received a a message threatening to, quote, deliver a load of death because of their barking dog. Oh, man. Not cool. That is the history of the Golden State Killer. It's very brief because you guys have a lot to talk about. Yes. So I'm going to kind of go over exactly what happened um so the golden state killer i'm going to kind of before i start this off there is an amazing book called i'll be gone in the dark by michelle mcnamara that i read and i would recommend everybody read if you're interested in this because it is just phenomenal i'm interested it's very good you can borrow it i have it here with me yeah sitting next to me okay so it was um so michelle mcnamara if you don't know her she is an author who was just like a normal person who became obsessed with finding out who this guy was um, because for so long we didn't know who he was. And she was writing this book. It was about two thirds of the way done. She unfortunately died in her sleep um, on April 21st, 2016 due to, she had some heart condition that nobody knew about and it was an accidental drug overdose as well. That kind of just did not go well. So she became interested in the crimes at first when she wrote uh, a Los Angeles Magazine article in 2013 about the East Area Rapist, because that's what he was called at the time. She signed a book deal to write about him as well, which is where this book came from. Um, And she is credited with creating the term Golden State Killer. So that is what we call him now, because that's basically what he became. Previously, he'd been known as the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the East Bay Rapist... There's a lot of names. He had like five or six names. Um, I'm going to refer to him as either the East Area Rapist or the Golden State Killer because those are his most widely known ones. So she researched him. She was pretty much obsessed with finding out who he was, which heightened awareness in the area around that time. So it was good. The book was completed after her passing. Like I said, when she passed away, it was two thirds completed. So the book was completed with the help of Paul Haynes, who's a crime writer. Billy Jensen, who is an investigative journalist, and her husband, Patton Oswalt, who is a comedian that many of us are aware of. Yep. It was published in February 2018, two years after her death, and two months before an arrest was made in the case. 
It is a reference, the title is a reference to a quote spoken by the East Area Rapist, where he said, you'll be silent forever, and I'll be gone in the dark. Okay. So it's kind of very bittersweet because she dedicated her life to this and never got to see her book published or see him caught and pay for his crimes. So we're going to start with the crimes. Okay. So obviously this is all happening in California. We're going to start in Visalia, California. As early as May 1973, the area of Visalia began experiencing burglaries. However, the first recorded burglary was on March 19th, 1974. At first, it was just petty change. The burglar, he would break in, he would rifle through their possessions, he'd vandalize their homes, scatter women's lingerie under clothes around, and he would notoriously steal things that were pretty low in value, but would leave high-valued belongings behind. So, kind of creepy, he was not there for the stuff. It was common for houses to be burglarized multiple times in a day. On November 30th, 1974, there was 12 separate incidents of different homes. So... He was a busy guy. Common MO here, he would scale fences, um, attempted multiple points of entry, but particularly was interested in windows. He would leave those points of entry um, open for escape, again, especially windows, removed the window screens and would place them on the beds. He placed warning items such as dishes or bottles against doors or door handles so he would know if someone was coming in. And he wore gloves so there was no fingerprints left behind. So September 11th, 1975, someone broke into the home of Claude Snelling. He was 45 years old. He discovered a prowler under his daughter's window a few months before on February 5th and had chased him away. So on September 11th, he was wakened around 2 a.m. He heard noises, got up to investigate and found a ski masked intruder in his carport attempting to kidnap his 16 year old daughter, Beth Snelling. Snelling, uh, Claude, sorry, he was shot twice and killed. The assailant fled the scene, leaving behind a stolen bicycle. His daughter survived and went under hypnosis to try to remember details of the assailant, and they posted a $4,000 reward. So police started setting up stakeouts near the houses that had been prowled because they were noticing a pattern here, but burglaries continued to happen. December 12, 1975, a masked man, again, enters a home that was near where and they were calling him the ransacker at this case, or at this point, sorry. So a masked man entered a home that was near where the ransacker frequented. Detective William McGowan was on stakeout duty, and he was inside the garage and attempted to capture the masked man. The man yelled, removed his mask, and feigned surrender after McGowan fired a warning shot. But then he jumped the fence, pulled out a revolver, and fired once near McGowan's face. So it didn't hit him, but it hit his flashlight, and so they were in darkness, and he lost track of him. Nearby officers rushed by, rushed to assist, but by then he had escaped. Which, how scary if it hits your friggin' flashlight. Yeah, like right by your face. If you think oh about how they have their gosh. guns and flashlights. I mean, it didn't hit you, but it hit your flashlight that was right in front of your face. Right. Horrible. It makes me wonder if that was, knowing what we know now, like he had yeah. police training, like was that... Planned, yeah. Well, and now, like, like you said, knowing what we know now, it is crazy how many times he got away. Yeah, like this book is chock full of so many instances he almost got caught, and now I'm like, he knew how to get away. Makes sense for sure. Yeah, he wasn't that lucky. Yeah, at the time they're like, this guy is just really lucky. He keeps getting away. So at this point, we're going to move to Sacramento, Mm -hmm. and it's 1976. So crimes began escalating from burglary to rape. This is when he becomes known as the East Area Rapist. He focused initially on the neighborhoods of Carmichael, Citrus Heights, and Rancho Cordova, 
which are all east of Sacramento. So his new MO, he is still stalking the houses, their middle-class neighborhoods. He's looking at them at night in search of women who live alone in one-story homes or alone with kids. Like, no no husband is what he's looking for. Mm. These homes are usually near a school, a creek, a trail, some kind of park or open space so he could get away. He was seen several, several times, but always got away. So most surviving victims reported seeing or hearing a prowler on their property before the attacks, and many had had their home broken into at one point before the attack as well. So at this point, police believe that he is very detailed in his surveillance of the homes. Um, They believed he sometimes would enter the homes first to unlock the windows, unload the guns, or plant ligatures so he could come back and be prepared. He also frequently would telephone his future victims to learn their daily routines and when they would be home. Gross. Yeah. Originally, he targeted single women or women with children, but he did change to couples. So he usually broke in through a window or a sliding glass door were the easiest points of entry. He would wake them up with a flashlight, blinding them, and then threaten them with a gun to cooperate. They were then bound with ligatures, blindfolded, and gagged. The female victim was always forced to tie up the male victim first because that was the biggest threat. So then he would separate the couples. He would stack dishes or something breakable on the male's back so he could hear if he tried to move or escape. And he would tell him, I will kill everybody if I hear those dishes fall. Hmm. Um, And then would move the woman to another room and rape her repeatedly for hours so the man could hear everything, which is just terrible, terrible. He would spend hours in the home. He would ransack it. He would eat their food, drink their beer, and then would come back to rape the woman, like, periodically. And this is very graphic, guys. This whole story is graphic, so Mm -hmm. it's very upsetting. I'm just going to say that now. There were several instances when the victims talked and told their story where they thought that he had left because it had been quiet for hours, and they would start to move, and he would jump out of the dark and scare them. Mm -mm. It's like he was just there waiting to further terrify them. next level. Um, they really is. S- yeah. They said they never knew when he actually left. He would sneak away when he left. So they would like not know for hours again. So he would get like a huge head start. Mm. He typically would also steal. Like I said, he was ransacking their homes. He stole random items. Sometimes he would take cash or firearms. Um, he was almost always on foot or he would use a bicycle that was stolen. He kept off the streets and that's why he was looking for these parks and open spaces because mm-hmm. he was... The police at this time, I mean, the terror that was going through California, and they talk about this in the book, like just how terrified everybody was, this whole community. So police were like patrolling the streets nonstop, but he wasn't using the streets. So that's another reason why they couldn't find him. Mm. The uh, East Area Rapist, he attacked Sacramento from June 1976 to May 1977. He had a three-month gap, and then he struck again in nearby San Joaquin County in September 1977. And then returned to Sacramento for the next 10 attacks. So he attacked five times in summer of 1978 um, in other counties before he disappeared again for three months. So he had these periods where he wasn't attacking. So now we're going to go to Contra Costa County, County, excuse me. Contra Costa. Contra Costa. There you go. In October 1978. And he stays there until about July 1979. So we're going to go on to the murders where he starts to escalate. And becomes known as the Golden State Killer. The first victims were Brian and Katie Maggior. Brian was a military policeman and his wife and him, they were just walking their dog in the Rancho Cordova area on February 2nd, 1978. 
there had been five East Area rapist attacks nearby. The majors were chased down and shot to death. At first, police were unsure if this was connected because it was outside the M.O. They weren't in their home. They were just walking their dog and were chased down. But because it was close to the proximity of the area where he was attacking and a shoelace was found nearby, which he commonly used for ligatures, they lumped it in. And then on June 15, 2016, the FBI announced that they were confident that the East Area Rapist was responsible for the murder. And he did end up confessing to them. So they were right. So shortly after the last rape occurred on July 5th, 1979, the East Area Rapist moved to Southern California and began killing his victims beginning in Santa Barbara County in October 1979. This lasted until 1981, and then he had a break and attacked again in 1986. So sadly, there was only one surviving couple, and that was the first couple. And they survived pretty much by sheer dumb luck. Um, He was tying them up and the wife started screaming and alerted the neighbors and her neighbor happened to be an fbi agent who rushed over pursued him um the east area rapist was on bicycle he pursued him but the east area rapist ended up abandoning his bike to run on foot fleeing through backyards and was able to get away so they just luckily lived next door to an fbi agent who showed right up wow yeah so that was on october 1st 1979 um, the attack was linked to the next murder because of shoe prints and twine that was used to bind the victim. So they're able to line those up. Um, at the time he was named the Night Stalker before he was renamed as the original Night Stalker after Richard Ramirez became the Night Stalker. So that first attack was October 1st, December 30th of that same year, Robert Offerman and Deborah Manning were killed in Santa Barbara County. They were shot to death at Offerman's condo. His bindings were untied, so Robert's bindings were untied, leading investigators to believe that he had escaped his bindings and thrown himself at the attacker. Most of these victims are bludgeoned to death. They are one of the few who was shot, and they think it's because he tried to attack him, and that was just quicker. March 13, 1980, Charlene and Lyman Smith in Ventura County, they were bludgeoned to death by a log from a wood pile on the side of their home. Charlene had been raped. Their wrists and ankles were still bound. It was the same complicated knot that they had noted in all of the East Area Rapist attacks. Which I think it was like a diamond knot, so they called him the Diamond Knot Killer as well. Oh, jeez. So many names. So many names. Um, August 19th, 1980, Keith and Patrice Harrington in Orange County were bludgeoned to death in their home. Patrice had also been raped. Evidence showed that they had been tied up, but there was no murder weapon and no ligatures were found at the scene. They had only been married three months Patrice was a nurse and Keith was a medical student. Keith's brother, Bruce Harrington, spent $2 million supporting California Proposition 69, which authorized DNA collection from all California felons in an effort to locate the killer. Wow. So that's just really cool. cool. Very cool. February 6, 1981, Manuela Wittoon. She is in Orange County. She was found raped and murdered in her home. Again, there was no murder weapon or ligatures that were found in the home, although her body did show evidence of being tied before being bludgeoned to death. Her husband was hospitalized at the time, so she was alone in the house. Yeah. He knew it. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, like, he staked them out. He knew. Yeah, absolutely. July 27th, 1981, Sherry Domingo and Gregory Sanchez in Santa Barbara County, they were found shot and bludgeoned with a garden tool. So the East Area Rapist entered through a small bathroom window here. Sanchez, the male, was not tied up, 
likely they believe police believe at least that he realized what was going on he knew who this was by then like this was all over the news so he probably realized what was happening and tried to fight back rather than being tied up Mm. which was why he was shot um and then he was bludgeoned after he was shot in the face sherry was raped and bludgeoned and then had also been tied up ligatures were missing from the house though May 4th, 1986, uh, this is the youngest and the last victim, Janelle Cruz, in Orange County. She was 18 years old. Her family was on vacation in Mexico at the time of the attack and left her behind. She was raped and bludgeoned to death in her home. A pipe wrench was reported missing by her stepfather when they returned, and they think this was the murder weapon. So for those keeping track at home, that is 50 rapes, 13 victims who were killed, and two more who survived that. So, at the time, police were unaware if they were all connected because there was just so much information out there. But, thanks to DNA testing, they have linked all of these cases together. There were three other rapes and murders around this time in this area. Uh, Jennifer Armour, Donna Jo Richmond, and then an unnamed woman and her son. 1974, 1975, and 1978. But these have all been cleared after DNA testing was performed once we caught them. He liked to mess with people, and he did quite a few phone calls. We're just going to talk about this real quick because it's just so creepy. March 18, 1977, the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office received three calls in one day from a man claiming to be the East Area Rapist, but none of these calls were recorded. They ended with the caller laughing and hanging up except for the last call, which ended with him saying, quote, I'm the East Side Rapist, and I have my next victim already stalked, and you guys can't catch me. December 2nd, later that year, Sacramento police again get a phone call. Quote, you're never going to catch me, East Area Rapists, you dumb fuckers. I'm going to fuck again tonight. Be careful. It was recorded, and the next victim was attacked that night. December 9th, 1977, a victim received a phone call saying, Merry Christmas, it's me again. Which is terrifying. Yeah. December 10th of that year, so literally the next day, (laughs) Sacramento police again got a call saying, quote, I'm going to hit tonight. Watt Avenue. So this was recorded. They decided it, or they determined it was the same person who had called them earlier. So patrols were increased that night. And at 2.30, a masked man eluded officers after being seen bicycling on the Watt Avenue bridge, exactly where he said he would be. He was spotted again at 4.30 a.m. and fled on foot. So he got away twice that night from them. Wow. Just crazy. He told them where he was going to be. Yeah. Yep, he did. January 2nd, 1978, a couple weeks later, the first known rape victim received a wrong number calling, asking for Ray. The call was recorded, and the caller then said, gonna kill you, gonna kill you, gonna kill you, bitch, 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 fucking whore. Oh my. Yeah. Sorry for all the graphic talk, guys. Well, I mean, it's not you. No, it's not me. This is him. January 6th, a couple days later, a man claiming to be the East Area Rapist called the Contact Counseling Service and said, quote, I have a problem. I need help because I don't want to do this anymore. He ended up hanging up because he thought the call was being traced. 1982, um, a previous victim received a call at her place of work, during which the rapist threatened to rape her again. And in 1991, a previous victim received a phone call. She spoke to him for about one minute, and she could hear a woman and a child in the background which was their first clue that maybe he had a family. Uh. In April 6, 2001, the last call that he made, the day after an article in the Sacramento Bee linked the original Night Stalker and the East Area Rapist, a victim received a call from him saying, quote, remember when we played? Ew, man, he's the worst. 
So at the end we have, and there's possibly more, but this is what has been linked by DNA slash him confess- confessing, 13 murders, 50 rapes, and 120 burglaries across California from 1973 to 1986. Okay. Terrible yep. person. Did you guys ever watch, um, it's on Hulu, the Golden State Killer, It's Not Over? No, but I will. I think I have seen that one. I haven't seen the one on HBO. There's two. I didn't know either of those. I just think, it. well, it comes out right before they actually figure out who it is and arrest somebody. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to tell you how that happens? We, I'm not going to talk about the arrest. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I just, think, I just thought it was really fascinating because, I mean, knowing what we know now, it's right. interesting to hear their theories back then on, you know, all the types of people that it could have been. And they also go through the victims, um, the, you know, the ones that are remaining and then victims' families. Yeah. And it's just really interesting. I like the aspect of, like, we know who it is now, but they didn't then. Mm-hmm. And you get to see, like, was their theory correct? Or were they on the right track, at least? And it's yeah. just kind of fascinating. That's why I love this book so much, because it's written without knowing who it is. And even her theories and how she tried to track him down and just, there's a lot of victim stories in here and it's terrible to read but well worth it i think just to hear their stories definitely because she even talks about like one of the last things she writes about is just you know that we remember them and not him right even when we one day find him right okay yeah absolutely how did we find him okay well so detectives searched for four about four decades right to find clues that would help identify the golden state killer um, so eventually a man named Paul Holes, an investigator and DNA expert, thought that he could figure out who this person was based on their genetics. Um, Paul had been tracking the Golden State Killer for about 24 years and had become totally obsessed with cracking the case. Sounds like some people who just got involved with it just ended up becoming totally yeah. obsessed with like it. Like this was their... like. Moby Dick. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. you you listen to these cases, you're like, there's got to be some clues here that we can figure this out, right? Right. I mean, it's not like he's trying to hard, hide that hard. <laughs> well, and there's so many cases, too. Exactly. And yeah. so yeah. many. And so many people have seen him. And so many witnesses. Put out there. So many sketches of him. Yeah. Um, so Paul was really close to retiring, though. So he felt like kind of more on a deadline. Um, and so he was really, really adamant on trying to get this case cracked. After the murder of Charlene and Lyman Smith, a pathologist placed the evidence from a rape kit and evidence from the murder scene into a freezer. So that was back in, what, the 80s? Yeah. And most of the scene evidence from other investigations was kind of done away with. And a really diligent pathologist, thank you, put evidence into the freezer, and then that was able to be used mm-hmm. later on. So that was very helpful. Um, and he was able to collect the evidence and submit it to a lab. They would then convert it into a format that could be read by, all right, so I've heard it as Jed Match or GED. So I've heard it as Jed when they read it. Jed Match, which analyzes hundreds of thousands of DNA data points to determine relatedness. So they can convert it into a profile that can, is easily read. Okay. How we understand it. Right. Initially, it was reported that the DNA samples were submitted voluntarily. Um, but according to some people, the actual investigation was more invasive and conducted without a warrant and appeared to violate the privacy policy in at least one of the DNA companies that was used. Okay. 
So because of this, I just thought this was interesting and I threw it in there because of this certain DNA or ancestry websites have changed their terms of services and they now include that it may be required to release personal information in response to a lawful request by public authorities. Yeah. So just so you know, if you submit yourself to Ancestry.com or 23andMe or all those things, 23andMe, all those. anything, um, you might be used in a court case later on in life. Uh, so anyhow, back to Paul. He didn't really expect anything to come of this, but he was very surprised when the results came back and found that about 10 to 20 distant relatives matched with the DNA samples. Uh, those relatives turned out to be the killer's great, great, great grandparents who lived in the early 1800s. And they had their DNA. Yes. And obviously, going back that far, this makes it extremely challenging to right. narrow down who it, it was. people. Exactly. So he and his team of experts created about 25 different family trees that contained thousands of relatives up to the present day. And they were extremely thorough. They looked through uh, census, rec- re- sorry, census records, mm-hmm. <laughs> newspaper, obituaries, gravesite locators, and police and commercial databases to find each relative. So they were very thorough. They found every single person along the way. Investigators searched the family tree based on age, location, and other characters, meaning they narrowed it down. So they had an idea in mind about what the person that they were looking Mm -hmm. for was like, and then they narrowed it down based on what they found there. They were able to narrow it down to two different suspects. Uh, One was eventually eliminated by DNA uh, test from a relative. That left one person, and that was, you guessed it, Joseph D'Angelo. Got him. Yep. Got him. So Joseph, at the time when they recognized who he was, he was a 72-year-old retiree who was quietly living out his golden years in a town near Sacramento or Citrus Heights. I think this is exactly where he lived. Yeah. Uh, so Holes was interested after he learned that the, the man that they were investigating was also an ex-cop, which we talked about, who had bought guns during the time when the killer was extremely active. Which, side note, he was living... In the neighborhoods that he terrorized. I think I mentioned that yeah. too here. Yeah. Yeah. That's just crazy. Yeah, it is He crazy. never left the area. Yeah, he knew what was up. Um, so he was placed under, under surveillance shortly after that. And officers retrieved. Um, so I want to say that I, I listened to this also, that they, they got two different samples of DNA of evidence. One was from a door handle. And when they swabbed it, they only received a partial evidence because on a door handle, they found multiple people. Right. And so after that, then they waited for three days at his house and waited for his trash to come out. And that's when they were able to grab a piece of trash from his trash bag. Um, And then they were able to test it. And guess what they found? It was a match. It matched the DNA that was collected years prior during the rape kits um, and the DNA collected at the murder scenes. Pretty wild how yeah. that happened. I Yeah, it's crazy. After they were able to match it, they finally arrested him in April of 2018 at his home, which was not far from where most of his crimes occurred. Mm-hmm. After his arrest, he made a confession that referred to an inner personality named, quote unquote, Jerry. I never heard this part. I didn't hear this part either. According to him, Jerry forced him to commit crimes. He's quoted as saying, I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. I did all those things, though. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. 
Is that true? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he definitely said that. Uh, On June 29th of 2020, he pled guilty to the 13 counts of first-degree murder during his trial. And he couldn't be charged with rape or the burglaries because the statute of limitations had expired for those crimes. He showed up to trial in a wheelchair and appeared dazed and frail, which most people thought was an act because a lot of people stated that they had seen him riding his motorcycle at high speeds just a week before he was arrested. Mm. So trial ended on August 21st of 2020, and he was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. The death penalty was taken off the table as part of a plea deal. Mm. So. Okay. After listening to the victim impact statements, he said, quote, I listened to all of your statements, each and every one of them, and I'm truly sorry to everyone I've hurt. Thank you, Your Honor. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Seems sincere. Right. That's all he said. So, you know, that probably was um, coerced in yeah. some way. Yeah. I'm just guessing. Uh, so he became, I just thought this was interesting too. He became the first public arrest obtained through genetic genealogy. And on November 3rd of 2020, he was moved to North Kern State Prison. But now he's currently incarcerated in protective custody at California State Prison. He's still alive. Wow. For the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, which is probably not, not much longer. Be long. yeah. yeah. Not as long as he needs to be incarcerated. It's a real douchebag, that D'Angelo. He ruined. 100 plus people's lives yeah so real interesting podcast if you guys are interested and i talked to them about this earlier it's Mm -hmm. called man in the window um it's a what i say wondery podcast Mm -hmm. it's very very good and they do a nice good thorough they always do such a good job Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so if you're interested do check them out it's it's crazy and like even just like watching the documentaries reading the books about it like just the terror that these people talk about living through in yeah. that time and just not feeling safe in their own houses and like police on the streets didn't make them feel safer. It's just nuts. On the episode that I was honing in on specifically to his capture, mm-hmm. um, they interviewed um, people on the street where his house was. So like the kids behind him where the kids were growing up and they said that they can recall, you know, having like, you know, slumber parties or, they were camping out in their backyard basically. And they can remember crazy Joe coming out in their backyard and just cussing at no one for hours and walking and pacing in their backyard. And it really just paints a different picture from, I mean, really we, in our present day, we didn't know about it. I don't think until, until this genetic testing stuff came out and we were like, who, what, what happened? I feel like that's how I was anyway. I was like, what I didn't know anything about this. Oh, this you didn't guy. know about the Golden State Killer? Until until oh. genetic testing and all this stuff came out about how he's captured. I really didn't know. I I knew about him and had heard about him and all this stuff. But again, I used to love reading about serial killers. I mean, maybe I'd heard about him, but yeah. like no, no way in the way that we know about things now. But it's right. one of those things that you put things all together. I remember the day in 2018 when they found out, like yeah. when they arrested or whatever. And that was big news i just remember like sitting there staring at my phone the whole day like just dumbfounded like we actually caught somebody because it's like zodiac i mean it was like that famous that and it had been so long it had been so long 1978 or 1986 was the last one yeah i thought it was interesting that you know back in the day when everybody was all up in arms and terrified they would do these kind of you know 
press conferences, Mm -hmm. but in a local area where all the neighborhood would come and they would talk about like, what do you do if, you know, you come in contact with somebody like that? Mm -hmm. And they have a picture of him amongst the crowd Yeah, Mm -hmm. at that. Yep. And this book, um, it ends, you know, like I said, it was published two months before. So they were doing like press tours right when this came out and he was arrested and they were doing a press tour the day before and were asked in a Q&A, like, when do you think he'll be caught? And they said, it's just a matter of time. And then they yeah. said they got woken up at 4 a.m. with calls like we got him. Yeah. Yeah. They were definitely on to something by then. They knew it was close. Like I said, I think by that point. So much information had been put out into the public. Like you had so many armchairs loose also that were Mm -hmm. giving their input in addition Mm -hmm. to police force. Like it was going to happen. So it's really cool actually to see how it all came together on this one. It's amazing to see how DNA testing, like how far it's Totally agree. Absolutely. It's amazing. Fascinating. So that is the story of the East Area Rapist or the Golden State Killer or the original Night Stalker. So many weird names. So many names that like... Joseph well <laughs> D'Angelo, that's what his name is. Horrible person. Yep. He's right where he belongs right now. Yep. Um. So thanks so much, guys, for tuning in to our group episode about true crime. You can always find us at thetipsyghost.com and find our socials from there or send us a story or an idea, whatever you want to send us <laughs> at thetipsyghost at gmail.com. Within reason. Within reason. <laughs> I mean, we'll read it no matter what it is. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Please don't send porn Hey, hey, hey. You guys, dirty birdies. I mean, they'll still read it. We just won't talk about it on the show. <laughs> we'll talk about it, just not on the show. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Do you um, see the email we got? <laughs> please give us a five-star rating and a great view on Apple Podcasts. It, we would greatly appreciate it, and it really does help. Yes. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in this week. We will catch you guys next week. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.